Welcome to Two Open Doors, the podcast that explores our power to open or close the doors of relationship with the important people in our lives. We hope you'll learn from and share your wisdom with our community. Thanks for joining us. In her wonderful and informative new book, Come Together, the sex educator Dr. Emily Nagoski extends the lucid understanding of how sex works that she delivered in Come As You Are. In this episode, I'd like to share and comment on an observation that I believe is relevant to all thinking adults who wish to determine the course of their own sexuality, that is, the notion of sexual imperatives. Because human sexuality is a powerful force, every society creates expectations and limitations around how its citizens enact their sexuality. Those bounds and expectations can and do vary widely across societies. As an example, some societies, such as that in Nigeria, are vehemently intolerant of homosexuality. Those who express homosexual tendencies there can face persecution or even death. In contrast, Iceland is very relaxed about homosexuality and is accepting of LGBTQ individuals in general. In considering U.S. society, it's clear that there are some strong and rigid perspectives regarding sexual expression in at least significant segments of the population, for example, many religious groups. Emily Nagoski describes these perspectives as embodiments of sexual imperatives, or behavioral norms, constraints, and guidelines that determine how sex is to be conducted and who gets to participate in it. Building on the set of imperatives identified in the book Mediated Intimacy, Sex Advice in Media Culture by Meg John Barker, Rosalind Gill, and Laura Harvey, Dr. Nagoski calls out the following broad imperatives. First is the coital imperative. Then there's the variety imperative, the performance imperative, the confidence imperative, the pleasure imperative, the sex imperative, the relationship imperative, monogamy imperative, the desire imperative, and the body imperative. Let's look at each of these in turn. First, let's consider the coital and variety imperatives together. When the idea of having sex is presented to many people in our culture, their resulting mental image is often that of penis and vagina, or PIV, sex. Perhaps that view is rooted in the common social assumption and insistence that sexual expression must be tied to a procreative intent. Regardless, that narrow view of sex is embodied in the coital imperative. Note that the imperative inherently assumes that sex takes place within heterosexual couples, and it telescopes the immensely diverse ways in which partners can share sexually into one particular action, that is, PIV penetrative sex. Such a view discounts or even invalidates sexual exchanges that occur between partners who aren't cisgender or male-female. It also downplays other commonplace and mutually satisfying modes of sexual expression, such as manual, oral, or anal sex, or sharing kink and fetishes. In contrast with, and in potential contradiction of, the coital imperative, the variety imperative insists on the importance of maintaining a wide variety of activities in the course of a sexual exchange. That variety includes the manual, oral, or anal sex acts that are de-emphasized by the coital imperative. The importance of this imperative, though, is that it basically prescribes and demands such variety in any valid sexual exchange. Let's turn now to the performance and confidence imperatives. The performance imperative positions sex almost as a sports competition in which partners seek to win. Such a perspective effectively turns sex into work, into an activity in which skills must be honed in order to achieve one's sexual goals. 
Equally importantly, it induces each sexual partner to focus on how they're doing and on how well they're playing the game of sex. Needless to say, that focus on self comes at the expense of focus on and connection with one's partner. Given that consequence, the performance imperative works diametrically against creating the depth of emotional and physical connection that lies at the heart of mutually enjoyable sex. Both initiating sex with a partner and participating in a sexual exchange with openness and ease can be challenging for many or most people, at least at times. The confidence imperative underscores the social desirability of being confident and assertive in the pursuit of sexual opportunities. Like the performance imperative, the confidence imperative lays out rigid and potentially unattainable shoulds for how a person participates in sexual exchanges. The prescriptive nature of both of these imperatives can introduce pressure and anxiety into the sexual component of a relationship. Turning next to the pleasure and sex imperatives, the pleasure imperative assigns value to sex as a source of pleasure, while positioning pleasure as a major motivator for entering into a sexual exchange. Such a perspective centers a person as the recipient of pleasure, reducing focus on the importance of providing pleasure for their partner. It also at least implies that sex that isn't intensely pleasurable is less than complete. The sex imperative entrenches the pleasure imperative by demanding that the participants in an intimate relationship should want and enjoy sex. While that's the case for many people, the sex imperative leaves little room to account for people who are asexual, to varying degrees, and thus not especially focused on sex. Let's consider the relationship and monogamy imperatives. The relationship imperative attributes value to a person's being in an intimate relationship, because that relationship context is believed to make sex better, presumably in the sense of being more enjoyable and satisfying. Of course, the flip side of such a positioning is that sex without the commitments and constraints of being in a relationship is not seen as fully legitimate. That's an assertion that many might dispute, given that relationships develop over a period of partner familiarization, and sex is likely to find expression throughout that potentially extended period. The monogamy imperative further narrows the relationship imperative by insisting that monogamous relationships are the only valid context for sexual expression. That is, Sex should only occur within the context of a monogamous relationship, and thus with only one partner at a given time. In actuality, in our culture, the prevalent form of long-term committed relationship is serial monogamy, with multiple successive partners, not permanent monogamy with one partner. The monogamy imperative is certainly at odds with the beliefs of many of those who are in non-traditional relationships, such as polyamorous. It would also be repudiated by anyone who experiences sex outside a committed relationship. The desire imperative presumes that a normal adult regularly experiences spontaneous desire, or sexual desire that arises autonomously within a person. Such desire differs from responsive desire, which is sexual desire that arises in response to experiencing sexual attention from a partner. As we've noted in prior posts, responsive desire is commonplace in both women and men. Even those who frequently experience spontaneous desire are not always in that state. Thus, the desire imperative presents a distorted expectation for how sexual desire arises in many people. The body imperative is analogous to the performance imperative in that it positions very specific and often unattainable body traits as being an ideal that sexual adults should pursue. In the case of both of these imperatives, people are discouraged from just being and relaxing into who they are. Instead, socially desirable body traits are mandated as ever-receding goals that adults must work to attain.
It's easy to think of some of the traits favored under the body imperative. Tall, muscular, and sometimes almost anorexically thin bodies for women, and buff, taut, athletic bodies for men. These proposed ideals are socially constructed and are often both unattainable and unhealthy, as many who have been perennially on diets can attest. Nevertheless, these ideals permeate all of our media, which serve up products to purportedly help in the pursuit of those goals. Our quick tour of the sexual imperatives should serve to increase our awareness of the many rigid constraints and expectations that our society places on the expression of our sexuality. Recall the notion of re-choicing that I frequently highlight in my two Open Doors perspectives on relationships. Once we become aware of the factors that guide our decisions and our preferences, we gain the opportunity to evaluate how well those factors suit our personal life goals. That evaluation can then lead us to change or even replace those guiding factors. In thinking about the sexual imperatives that society lays on us, we may decide that there are other ways of being sexual that better suit us. For example, we may come to realize that sex is a vehicle for giving one another the gift of pleasure, rather than a yardstick for gauging our sexual performance and our self-worth. We may also come to see the traditional default relationship style of monogamy as being but one of several possible ways of creating vibrant and satisfying committed relationships with others. Awareness and the ensuing possible rechoicing thus offer us paths to self-liberation and self-determination. Those, in turn, are tools to further our personal growth and evolution. To learn more about Two Open Doors and to engage with our community, I'd like to invite you to visit the Two Open Doors private Facebook group for posts and discussion and the Two Open Doors meetup group for events. I also invite you to contact me directly by writing to me at claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, at twoopendoors.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I'll use your inputs to guide my work on future blog posts and podcast episodes. Thanks for visiting Two Open Doors.